My cousin dragged me up here. I wasn't really sure what was going on, but he said I wouldn't want to miss this parade. Yeah, I've heard of this Jesus guy from Galilee. I've heard some people talking who's just uh, come from Jerusalem, come to Jerusalem from Capernaum, where this rabbi had been teaching. They were talking about people who were coming from all over to wherever he is hanging out just to hear him. Some people try to get up close and personal with him because word on the street is that he healed some people, maybe even brought someone back to life. All I know is that the stories are obviously spreading and there's a turnout today of Roman soldiers to check it out, so the authorities must be getting nervous about him. My cousin seems to think uh, this could be it, our ticket out of this Roman occupation. And he's hoping to see a lot of people marching alongside and hopefully there will be a display of power from Jesus that will get people to rally. We got here early to get a good spot, decided not to uh, be down on the road but instead to stay up here on this roof so we can get a good look. I'm just glad to be up here because if trouble starts, I'm out of here. A little distance is just fine with me. Don't get me wrong, I think things need to change and a lot of us Jews are tired of pay paying taxes to Caesar who controls everything through the, his local lackey, Pilate. But I'm afraid, honestly. I'm afraid of things that will get stirred up and life will get worse and not better. I'm afraid of being here, actually. What if I become known as a protester or a rabble-rouser? I've seen what they do to their political rivals, to those who dare to question their power, their divine right over all things and all people and all matters of life and death. Then I see Jesus coming. But he isn't on a horse. He's not galloping. He's not girded in a sword. He's riding on a donkey.
Let us pray. Gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each one of our hearts be acceptable to you, our strength and our salvation. And may we, like Samuel, cry out and say, Speak, Lord, for we are listening. So we've jumped forward in the chapter in the book of Matthew. Last week we were in chapter 17 talking about the transfiguration. Our Lord and Savior transfigured into pure light right before Peter and the other disciples who wanted to hold on to him to, to make dwelling places to keep him there, completely perplexed by what was going on. And just a few weeks before that, we were talking about the Sermon on the Mount that happens in chapters 5 through 7 in Matthew. And before that is where we read of the temptation of Jesus in Matthew 4. That time that Lent symbolizes, that time that we are entering now, these 40 days of temptation. And many of us have taken up... Uh, types of Lenten disciplines that might include fasting or praying or giving something up so that we might become closer to God, so that we might feel what it felt like for Jesus to give up food and water and people being in the wilderness for those 40 days. You may know that the 40 days that are counted between now and Easter don't include Sundays. Sundays are like little Easter's, little moments of celebration. And I think that that's something that we as a society look toward. We come to church to feel good, don't we? We come to church to hear that God loves us, that there's hope in the world, that God walks beside us in the form of Jesus Christ. We love those Sundays. We love Palm Sunday, the celebration shouting, Hosanna, save us knowing that Jesus is right here, even though we've skipped those chapters in between, those chapters that are so precious that tell the stories of his healing and the stories of the parables. And don't worry, we'll get to those in the summer. But for now, we've jumped ahead so that throughout these Sundays of Lent, we can concentrate on the events of Holy Week that begin with Palm Sunday. But as I was saying, we, we tend not to wallow in the pain. It hurts too much to stay there in the places of our lives where we're experiencing existential pain or emotional pain or physical pain. We want to skip from Sunday to Sunday, from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday, to feel good. So often we skip the places of Holy Saturday, which remembers the time Jesus was in the depths. There are times like that in our lives, too. I know I've had them. Dark nights of the soul. When it seems like nothing can provide the balm, the salve that will heal the pain we're feeling. That's what we're talking about today. We're talking about those times, those places in society where those days are every day. For the people in this community who are oppressed by the system. And our responsibility as the children of God, of ones who 
who are aware, who are woke, who know what's going on, who know that the love of God is here to be present with us. So this series is meant to put ourselves in the picture. You may notice here that there's a frame. On Wednesday night, those of us who were here entered and wrote on small slips of paper those things that we lament, those regrets that we had. And Ben and Josh collected them in a paper bag and brought them outside and burnt them. Judy had then prepared for us an acrylic sealant that we mixed with those ashes, and all of us, all 80 or 90 of us who were present that evening, came forward and we painted our regrets and our laments as the base coat on this canvas, knowing that while we are created as perfect as the beloved children made in the image of likeness in God, that we are human, that part of who we are is those regrets and those laments and those painful moments in our lives. If that's the canvas that we begin with, imagine the beautiful colors God who created us is painting over them each and every moment. But imagine so much more, the people who are not quite so well off as we are, who cannot afford medical care, who are oppressed because of their skin color or for who they love those people who are oppressed because of unjust practices in the healthcare system, in the finance system. Those places where we can enter in, whether it be with our vote, whether it be with the programs, the missions that we have here to help people in dire straits in our community. We are called here during this week to closely examine Holy Week to closely examine the events of Jesus' life that inform who we are and how we minister to the community. Because when we look at that parade, when you imagine in your mind's eye that parade, we are not just the bystanders. By virtue of being citizens of the world, we are a part of the system. We are not just bystanders, we are also persecutors, we are also doubters. We are also mourners. We are also confused and oppressed. We are entering the passion, as well as the compassion of Jesus in this week. In the communion liturgy that we share, we remember the story of Jesus knowing that he was facing an incredible end knowing how much he was hated by the authorities. And yet, on that last night, with his friends, his disciples, his students, he sought to comfort them. He offered them the bread of life and the cup of salvation that we will share later today. He offered those things with words that assured them that he would still be with them even when he was gone. That when we gather together here as this church, when we take communion together, the body is remembered, it's put back together as we become the body of Christ by sharing the symbol, the bread, the symbol of his body. We remember 
what he went through. We remember the, the situation in which that parade of old happened. You see, Jerusalem was a city, a place where the wealthy resided, a place where the government did its work, a place where people were provided for by the people from the outskirts. The people in the surrounding communities were farmers, were people who wove cloth, were people who brought things to those in the city so that they might live at ease. And things weren't as easy out in the countryside. People who work with their hands and rely on the ground to live didn't have it nearly as well as the people who collected their taxes and cared for themselves in a life of ease. Those were the people who came to that parade. Those people who saw in Jesus, who entered from that end of the city on a colt in a meek and humble way. They saw in him hope. They saw in him the fact that the kingdom of God was coming, was imminent. A kingdom in which they were no longer oppressed, but that justice prevailed. So that they were on equal footing with those who were now their wealthy neighbors. But if you know the story, you may recall that the opposite corner of the city, Pontius Pilate was entering on a noble steed. No doubt with trappings that look to us something like a red carpet being laid out. Like a 21-gun salute with lots of pomp and circumstance. But Jesus didn't go in for these trappings. Jesus demonstrated himself to be meek. You know, the, the definition of that word, humble, in the scripture is something more like humble not lording his authority, even though by this time in the story we know that he has been given authority from on high. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. We've heard that both at the baptism of Jesus at the River Jordan and on the mountain where he was transfigured. He doesn't come in saying, oh, look, I'm doing such a good job. I turned all white. Did you see that? The dove came down. He is humble. He is meek. He says, I will listen to you, you who are in the greatest pain, you who are in the most need. I will be there for you. I will help you. I will stand up for you. I will advocate for you. And you know, now that he's not here in this earthly plane with us any longer, and we are made the body of Christ by sharing the cup and the bread, by gathering in this place, by wearing crosses, by calling ourselves Christian, by knowing that we are baptized into love and grace, we are called to be the body of Christ. We are called to be the ones who do stand up now for those people who are oppressed. For that woman whose, whose check bounced and she was charged an overdraft fee when she only had a little bit and that overdraft fee then became a cycle of overdrafts until she was overwhelmed with that tide. For that person, that man who needed 
medication, who needed a test to ascertain his medical condition and was turned away because of a lack of insurance. Sometimes we go and we vote in a particular way. Sometimes we go and we stand at a rally to bring attention to a particular plight. Sometimes we talk with our friends about the importance of new systems, systems that are changed so that people are not left on the street homeless and hungry and hurting. Sometimes we work in industries where we can make a direct impact by giving away our services pro bono. Sometimes just developing a greater understanding of the plight of other people makes us work in church and come up with ideas about missions that can help so many. That's the point at which we become participants in the parade, not just bystanders, no longer persecutors and doubters, but standing alongside Jesus, taking up our cross, standing even though it means risking ourselves so that all might participate in a just society. The just society that is contemplated when Jesus says, this is the day the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You know, I was at a meeting this weekend where someone said that the translation that he had been looking at of those words, this is the day the Lord hath made, were more accurately um, translated as, this is the day on which God has acted. God has acted. You wouldn't be here if you didn't know and believe that. God has acted through sending Jesus Christ to be here with us on earth to teach us how to be loving and kind, how to love one another and love God, which can only begin to result in those wonderful opportunities for us to reach out and seek justice in this world. So the question as we leave this place today is will we act? Or how will we act? What will we do? How can we be participants in this parade, this parade that initiates heaven on earth? Thanks be to God for this indescribable gift.